Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, pro physique athlete. Today I'm joined by the godfather, Jeff Alberts from 3DMJ, who is a veteran in natural bodybuilding and also highly accomplished himself as an athlete, having placed sixth at Worlds recently and is currently in prep again. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've had Jeff on the show, so it's great to have him back. Today we're going to be talking about a few things bodybuilding related, starting off with some updates with his prep and lessons learned from prior the prior prep. And then we'll talk a bit about, about Jeff's off-season strategy and finally wrap up with some tips for longevity and bodybuilding. So this is going to be a fun one for the audience, I'm sure. And yeah, I was just thinking, Jeff, maybe just starting off as a broad strokes overview of the last year for you and where you are now in terms of prep. Yeah, so it was an interesting year last year. So the idea was to get on stage and do worlds like you did. Unfortunately, it, it didn't work out that way. So I would say probably July where things got a little bit rough for me. I was progressing pretty well up to that point. Um, I was probably about 10, 12 pounds away from stage weight at that particular point in time. And then I ended up getting COVID. Oh. So that kind of set me back you know, a week just to kind of, uh, you know, go through that. And then, you know, it takes another two, three weeks just to kind of get your training back, brought back up to speed. So you could kind of say like three or four weeks stretch there, like there was no deficit, you know, because the last thing I'm going to do is put myself in a deficit while going through COVID and recovering and trying to get my training back up to speed. Otherwise it's just an uphill battle. So I had to, you know, eat more food and just get my training right again. Well, you know, you lose a month of progress as far as fat loss. So that kind of, you know, put me behind the eight ball. So there was pressure with that. And then there's just, you know, family dynamics kind of changed a little bit. Um, there was a health issue with, with uh, uh, immediate family, well, not immediate family, like my, my stepmother. So it, it just increased stress. And, you know, long story short, I just realized like, okay, this is just not the time to kind of see this all the way through. So, you know, I've done enough preps to kind of know more or less like, you know, when it's inspiring to kind of push through and, you know, go all the way to the end, or is it inspiring to actually know when to stop mm -hmm. and reset and come back at a later time when, you know, some of those outside stressors are reduced and you're just in a better environment to kind of, you know, go through with a big commitment like that. So I just paused the prep. I'd want to say it was somewhere in the neighborhood of September, August, somewhere in there. It might've been September. I decided I wasn't going to go through with it. So after that, I was just like, okay, let's just uh, eat a little more food, gain a little bit of weight back, you know, and make sure my training is good. And then mentally just kind of think about what the next steps would be. And it actually gave me a good opportunity to kind of think about like where I am in my career because, you know, I've been doing this since the early 90s as far as competing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and going through last year, I would say that it was fun, but it wasn't as fun as it, it's been in the past. So I think some of that fire is kind of gone or, you know, because I've done so much over the years, I've been pretty successful. So I just not getting the same enjoyment factor like I once did. Uh, you know how it is, like you, the chase, that fire, that passion to like get after and just try to aim for more and more progress. Like, you know, I've done a lot. There's like 30 years of competition. So it's like, it's really hard to keep that fire going. 
And there's other things that I want to do, you know, outside of just getting down to 6% body fat. And, you know, I realize it's not only hard on my body, uh, but it's also hard on the people around me. And, you know, no matter how we try to balance out prep, you know, it's just, it just takes a lot out of you. You know, your focus just isn't all the way there. So there, there is a little sacrifice that people around you have to endure. So I just, I'm coming to a place where, you know, I'm, I'm coming more towards the end. And I think that was kind of like a blessing in the skies of like having a prep that I had to kind of put on hold. It just gave me a lot more time to think and reflect on everything. So, which actually it kind of ignited a little bit of fire because I realized, okay, let me give this one more shot. And that way there's no regrets. Like I just say, okay, I can do it one more time, put all my energy into it, be fully committed and uh, have a little bit more experiences with you know, Eric Helms and, you know, Brad Loomis and the guys and, you know, kind of just sail off in the sunset after sharing some good memories. So for me, the current prep that I'm in now, and this kind of gets me all the way to now, is that that's what it's about. It's just about celebrating, you know, not just this prep, but the body of work, like 30 years of competing, 36 years of training. So I think I'm ready just to have this be the last season. So it's more for me about it's a celebration more so than like, Hey, I need a place, you know, a certain placing at worlds or what have you. Wow. Last season. That's huge. I mean, 90% uh, sure. I'm going to, I'm going to leave the 10% cause you know, it is bodybuilders the way we say we're done. And three years later, like, Oh no, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. But I mean the battery life, right? Like it's kind of like a phone, right? Like you charge it, you charge it, you charge it. Eventually the battery starts to kind of give out and it doesn't fully charge a hundred. That's how I see a prep. Like when you do a prep, like, I don't know if you really get back to a hundred percent every single time thereafter. It's almost like, okay, maybe you go to nine, back to 98% and you're still good for another season. Then it's like, okay, now you're at 96, 92, maybe 87. So, I mean, as the years go by, it's hard to charge back up, you know, to a hundred percent. Yeah. That's something I've been thinking about, you know, this year is having, having the awkward timing where I one with pro card early, like in May. And then I basically had to do two preps back to back to do worlds again. And I definitely felt like coming back from the second prep, my body didn't like bounce back the same, you know? And it's like thinking about how we're supposed to compete every two years to maintain our pro status. But like, I don't really want to go through like the full shebang, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do like a, a mini prep or something like that, but it takes a lot out of you. And I like what you were saying about you know, knowing when to, when it's noble to stop and, you know, there's kind of a fine line where you see these people who maybe they're trying to be the, the mightier than thou and saying like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this because of A, A B, C, D, E, F, G, intellectual academic reasons when they're kind of copping out. But then on the other hand, bodybuilding is also this very hardcore, like blood and guts mentality where I feel like it's also easy for a lot of people to let other parts of their lives fall to the wayside. That doesn't get talked about enough, or it's not really shown, I should say, in social mm -hmm. media. Like who wants to air, like, you know, there's relationship issues yeah. or job issues or, you know, like even just, you know, people getting sick or what have you, like people don't really want to air that because it's not always comfortable topics, but it's real. Like we're all human. Every one of us has a story to tell, right? And sometimes like the whole story is not always being shown. 
So, you know, I've worked with a, a lot of people over the years as a coach and, you know, you, you get to know people and trust me, there's a lot of failed preps that in my eyes, that's more inspiring than them trying to power through it and, you know, negatively impacting not just themselves, but the people around them and their jobs or what have you. Like I've had, you know, a couple people where I actually made them quit prep because it's like they're like. You know how it is, Bill, when you're like deep into a prep, you're really lean and you're super hyper-focused on your goal. Like you don't see clearly everything. Like me as a coach, I can step back for them and kind of look like, oh, wow, okay. You're telling me that your significant other is ready to leave you yeah, because you won't take her out to eat, you know, <laughs> and you still got two months left to your prep. It's like, that's an issue. Like, What's going to happen when it's over, prep's over. So it's things like that, that, you know, I think, you know, it doesn't really get talked about too much. So I kind of knew my limit, like, okay, yeah, it's better right now if I just call it a day. Yeah. And it would have been harder for me in the past to say that because the fire in me would have been like, no, man, I gotta, I gotta get shredded. I gotta, I gotta try to win this show. Like I was really set on goals and, you know, I would cross that finish line. But there was always an aftermath of that. It's always like, okay, at what expense? So you kind of just have to weigh it out. Yeah. But anyways, I think you know having you on is great because now you're you're in this position where you're coming to the latter parts of your bodybuilding, you know, competitive career, and like you've just had so much experience, and you've kind of seen this whole science-based sphere come into the world and grow. Um, what were some lessons you've learned over the last? prep or even the last couple of preps lessons yeah i guess you know in terms of the bodybuilding aspect i think i'm at a place now where it's easy for me to i guess i guess because of that experience you mentioned like i've seen a lot so i can look at a certain scenario and see multiple perspectives with it so i can see the pros and the cons to it whereas you know early on in my career, it would have just been like, I would have been short-sighted because I didn't have that experience. So I think that's the big thing I'm realizing now is like, you know, when I see online, a lot of, especially the small things, like, you know, just little debates that people have, it could be like exercise form, or it can just be like, Hey, you need to position your elbow this way to mm. make this more optimal. It's like mm. all these, like in my eyes, it's like trivial. Because in the end, it's like, if the goal is to like have a successful career, and I think oftentimes a Bible don't think of career, we just think of the now. Like a lot of these things really in the end don't really matter all like of a lot. And they're also very, very difficult to kind of figure out if they are in fact optimal. If they are optimal, what's the percentage? Like in order to kind of really know that, I mean, you would have to like, run trials and they would have to be so controlled and they would definitely need clones of you. Yeah. They would need to be lengthy. Right. And the bottom line is that none of us live in like a, a micro under a microscope. Like we're, we're basically like living our own lives in the real world. So show me someone who can really control all their variables 24 mm seven. -hmm. Very hard to do. Yeah. Life is not in a vacuum. <laughs> so what I've learned is like, okay, if whatever your process is, 
if it's consistent and you're standardizing it, it, it does become a lot easier to dissect what is working for you and what isn't. But I mean, yeah. if you're always like, oh, I'm going to take this little tweak here. Oh, now next week you're taking this little thing here and you're constantly doing these things. It's like, how do you know what's actually doing what? So I've learned, I guess in a long-winded way of saying, like I've learned to simplify and be efficient in my process. Yeah, that's great. You know, you have all this time you spent fine-tuning your own process and understanding your own body. So yeah, it's like finally a tuned machine at this point. Um, yeah, in terms of this prep coming into it, now that everything, you've had time to reflect and you have, you know, everything mapped out, what's the plan in terms of broad strokes and then maybe kind of like where you see um, the progress happening across the months? So yeah, I mapped this out and <laughs> the game plan originally, I, like I put it out on YouTube so everybody can kind of see it. I laid it out and it's almost like two seasons into one. I know it sounds kind of crazy because we were just kind of talking about like how hard it is to like do shows in the middle of the year and then come back at the end. Mm -hmm. So the tentative game plan was to do a couple of shows in summertime. So it'd be like uh, the NGA Tahoe show, mm -hmm. uh, the WMBF uh, Muscle Mayhem here in Sacramento in July, if I'm ready. And then I was going to take a, a, a short break, gain a couple pounds back, regroup, then come back towards the fall. And, and I think that's basically wishful thinking, to be honest. I mean, if it happens, it happens. But, you know, I don't want to miss out on anything since this is probably going to be the last time I'm doing this. So I want to have as much fun as possible. For anybody else, it's not how I would probably organize a prep. Um, you know, so they're, especially their first season, like, hey, we're not going to do, like, you know, summer than, than fall. It's going to be, you know, grouped a little closer together. But the experience level that I have, um, I feel like I'm, I can do it. But, I mean, now that I'm about my fifth week into dieting, it, the progress is a little bit slower than anticipated. So I'm not, let's say, putting a ton of pressure on myself or forcing that progress in a sense. I'm letting it come to me. So that way the process itself is a little bit more relaxed and I'm actually enjoying it because I don't want to feel like I did last year where it's like I felt like I was getting behind or there's a ton of pressure there. So a lot of stressors were there and I started not to enjoy what I was doing. So this time I'm making sure that I'm trying to stay as cool as the other side of the pillow while going through it. And, you know, we're only in beginning of February. So, you know, worst case scenario, if I'm not ready by summer, I still have fall shows to do. So, oh, yeah. so, I mean, worst case scenario, we're talking uh, maybe the Washington show in October. Mm. That'll qualify me for Worlds. And then we have Worlds in November. So, so that's kind of the, 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 the tentative game plan. Yeah, sweet. So what kind of rate of loss have you been going for? I've been trying to get about a pound per week, but mm. uh, it's been kind of hit or miss. Like, it seems like it's like every other week I'm kind of getting that. And in between, it's like maybe quarter pound or half a pound on the weekly average. Um, the biggest challenge for me is the daily flow, like setting that up. So it's literally, it's it's still an ongoing process. Like literally the first month, just trying to navigate, you know, some some life events, social settings, and figuring out, okay, like how my day should flow. Like getting a rhythm as far as like, hey, when, when my meal times are going to be and like the food sources, uh, how I'm navigating like those life events, like I talked about. 
Um, so it's just been like kind of getting that into a good flow right now. And the biggest challenge for me is activity because I'm a desk jockey. So, you know, I work from home all day. So the only time I can really get some good activity in is first thing in the morning. But I haven't been, I'll be honest, I haven't been motivated to do that because it's dark at six in the morning and my neighborhood, it's, it's okay, but you go a couple blocks that way and it's like, you don't really want to be out there in, at, at night at, you know, it's dark and people have probably heard this, but you know, I'm in Stockton and in Stockton, we had a serial killer last year okay. that was killing men at night, Jeez. you know, in the in the early mornings of, of, of the of the day. So I was like, okay, I don't really want to be out there. So that, and then the weather's kind of on the colder side. So I know for personally, for me, like once, once the time changes, it's, it's a little, you know, lighter sooner, the weather starts shifting, then I get more motivated to get out there and walk. So to basically compensate for that, I just decide I'm just going to eat a little less instead. Cause it's easier right now. It's less stressful for me just to knock off a couple hundred calories than it is to go get some steps in. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's what I did. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing as far as like making sure the process is a little more enjoyable and less invasive, like less stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's huge. And you know, determining a successful prep. Where did you start off in terms of weight and what's your target stage weight? Start out at what? Dang. About 190. Now I'm about 187. And target, yeah, I usually compete around 170. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Has your stage weight changed much over the years? Stage, yeah. Actually, well, it's a good story if you got time. So, I mean, back in the day, I competed in the like mid 150s, 160. Mm -hmm. uh, when I turned pro in 2009, I was about 160 on stage. And then 2011, when I did my pro debut, I was 170. So I've gained, I, I don't, I didn't gain 10 pounds of muscle, but what ended up happening is I learned how to diet better mm -hmm. and I retained a lot more muscle. So I wasn't eating up as much tissue, you know, during with my preps. So I, in a sense, I, I just had a better handle on the rate of loss, uh, which made a significant difference. You know, I went from 160 to 170, just yeah. as lean, if not leaner. And, uh, yeah, everybody's like, how's this guy at 40 years old making <laughs> 10 pounds of muscle? So. It wasn't that. I mean, it's hard to say if I actually put any muscle on or not, because there's no way to really know that. But I'm I'm confident enough to say, like, yeah, I did retain a ton of muscle. And that was just, you know, at that time, it was just coming into the, the science era, the research era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when I kind of met the the other guys at 3D Muscle Journey. It's like, hey, let's let's refeed, you know, or hey, let's not take every single set to failure and crush yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that's huge. I actually want to so, dig into this a bit, you know, yeah. because... I think that's a that's a really big difference and it kind of shows how much how important it is to preserve muscle during a prep for a bodybuilder especially in Nashville where I was going to say know, especially in Nashville all, all the differences yeah. made in terms of how well you conserve muscle um what have you found to help in terms of that preservation throughout prep it's definitely controlling the rate of loss. Mm. So I know I know you're familiar with half to one percent of your body weight per week. It's an ideal rate, but you know I've like the last few preps, I've actually kept it more on the half percent, or even sometimes even slower than that. So I mean, it, 
you don't hardly feel the deficit when it's that conservative. Some people might say like, that's way too slow. You're going to, because it means a longer prep. And that was the kind of knock on me back in 2011, 2014. Like, you know, I didn't, some people say, don't, Jeff, don't tell people how long you prep for. Cause that's, that's a, that's not a good thing. But it was like <laughs> 50 week prep, you know, people hear 50 weeks and they, all they think is like, this guy suffered for 50 weeks. Hmm. But it was like, in a sense, it allowed me a bigger playbook because, you know, there's some weeks where it's like, I don't really feel that great. Okay. Let's, let's diet break or let's have more refeeds this week or let's just elevate calories a little bit this week. So slow it down a little bit. So that way my training is superior because that's, what's key in preserving muscle mass. If you think about it, it's like, if you had good training quality, you're recovering well. And if the rate of loss is on the slower side, you're going to preserve muscle. Mm -hmm. But if you're like going ham, (laughs) you're, you're under eating and you're losing at a fast clip, especially every single week. It's like that. You're just digging yourself into a hole and your body don't care if it's taking body fat or muscle. It's like, Hey, I just want to, I just want to live. I don't want to starve and die. Yeah. That's an interesting debate, you know, going on where people talk about how long should your prep be and. And I, I definitely see where, especially at your stage where I feel like you have so much muscle and it's like, it's just keeping it is the, the big issue. Whereas, you know, maybe if you were talking to like a 20 year old doing their first prep, maybe if they spent, you know, a year, uh, um, cutting, that'd be a lot of time investment that they could also. That I wouldn't even recommend it, even if it was conservative because they don't have the skill for that, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's mental, physical, yeah. emotional, they don't have the skill for that. Um, you know, unless they're coached through it, you know, but it's like when you, if I couldn't imagine like doing that with my first prep, like yeah. told me, Hey, I need you to prep for, for 10 months. I'd be like, well, <laughs> you're crazy. So it kind of just depends on the individual. Cause you know, when you set, like when I set people's trajectory up with their preps, you know, I kind of get to, I get a feel like I talk to them for an hour or two, like trying to figure out, okay, what makes sense here? Like. Of course, we can look at numbers and go, okay, we need to lose half the 1%. This is what your starting weight is. This is about where we need to go. So, okay, we just map out the weeks for that. But we're not robots. The real world hits sometimes, you know, plateaus hit. So you got to be able to, you know, strategically maneuver around these things. You know, and if you have, if you're prepping someone for six, six months to 10 months, you know, average what natural bodybuilding prep, like what? five, six, seven months, somewhere in there, eight months, maybe like, could you imagine said like, oh, I gotta be perfect. 1% every week. Can't go out to eat here. Yeah. Like it's like, no. So you have to be able to, it has to be rigid, you know, maybe initially, like it's a little more rigid for people, but eventually you learn how to be flexible. So that's basically like my last 10 years has kind of been a little bit more flexible with the approach. Uh, I had a post on Instagram. It was, I don't know how many years ago now. It was was my 2014 prep. And I put, out of the 50 weeks that I prepped, I put down how many low-calorie days I had, how many refeed days I had, how many training days I had, how many, like, quote-unquote cardio days I had. And it I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was, like, over 100 days of refeeds. So it wasn't like for 50 weeks I was, like, depriving myself. So it's, it's kind of like a good boxer, right? Like a good boxer will pick his spots, you know, when to throw a good punch and when to kind of back out. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's where I'm at now. And that's how this prep is, is 
kind of unfolding as well. I'm kind of picking spots already. One thing I've been curious about is, you know, especially since you've had so many preps of different trajectories, have your like end game macros changed over the years in terms of like, mm. does the route you take change the destination in terms of macros or you kind of like the, get down the there protocols? Yeah. Or like your end game macros, like did your bottom end macros change? That's a good question. Or do you still have to get all the way down there, you know, despite um, maybe a longer or slower prep or other changes you've made? So it's interesting. I remember in 2006 when I prepped, I was 35. I worked in an auto plant, so I was far more than we did. I didn't track steps back then, so I don't have a clue, but I was on my feet moving all day. Yeah. You know, on assemblies are hard. So I would imagine my steps had to be in the neighborhood of 15 to 20,000 a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I would, I would diet down to like 155, 160. So now in hindsight, now what I know now, it's like I was probably way under eating and just doing too much cardio because I was actually doing cardio on top of that. Like, like I was doing five, six days a week, like an hour on the bike, stationary bike. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember that prep, I, the low calories, if I can remember offhand, it was in the neighborhood of like 1,600, 1,700. I was shredded. But in hindsight, looking back, like I could have been a lot bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's been kind of just, it's been different based off of my environment, really. Like right now, like currently it's, it's people go nuts off of this, but my, my calories right now and like my low days are like 17, 1800 calories. Mm-hmm. But the context is that, and I'm a big dude. It's like, I don't move. My steps are like two, mm-hmm. three, like 2,500, 3,500 calories a day on average. So I don't require a lot of food. I don't get, I'm not hungry either. So it's like, I sit here, I have breakfast. I sit here, I'm not hungry. I won't get hungry until like four or five hours later. And then same thing, I'll eat and I'm like, I'm not hungry. Maybe four or five hours ago, I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm hungry again. Yeah. Whereas when I used to work on the auto, you know, at the auto plant, it was like, I eat two hours later, I'm starving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very contextual to your activity levels and the rest of your life. Well. What's interesting though is like protein intake. So this is what I learned with protein intake. Personally, I remember back in the two thousands, mm-hmm. and, and you know, from all the way up until two thousand, yeah, like six, my protein intake would be in the neighborhood of two hundred to two forty during preps. And again, I would diet down, and I get down to one hundred sixty pounds. Well, in twenty eleven, I had my protein averaged about one seventy, one eighty. And I was still pounds heavier. Hmm. And then again, in 2014, my average protein intake was probably about 160. So, and again, we're talking like I'm 170 on stage. So when I started dieting, people were like, how are you only taking in 160 when you weigh 190 pounds? But it's like the lean body mass is kind of what I think about. Like if I'm close to a gram per pound there, I'm probably good. Plus, what's probably even more important is the rate of loss. So it doesn't matter if I was at 160, 180, or 240, if I'm losing more than 1% of my body weight per week, every week, like I did in my early days, you're going to lose muscle mass regardless. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of learned like, okay, I can I can eat lower, pro- lower protein intakes as long as the rate of loss is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. And then I think you mentioned something about training as well. You like not training to failure as much. What's your current training setup like? And in- broad strokes uh three days a week 
so it's upper lower split so i just alternate it so it's upper lower upper and just keep it going um on average we're looking at anywhere between two to four sets per exercise most exercises are like three some of my stronger body parts i just do two sets um and on occasion i might do four sets on something that i feel like might need it or i feel like i just didn't get good quality on three sets i might just add a set in there but that's basically just Simple principles, uh, rep ranges, just based on what feels right for the for the given exercise. And reps in reserve is kind of just based on the rep range and the exercise in question. And I just kind of just roll with those principles. So I don't have like specific progressions in place. I got, I'm more of like, okay, what did I do last week? And okay, can I beat that? Let me try. If it happens, great. If not, well, the second set, let me just adjust the load or address the rep range or what have you. But the bottom line for me is like, as long as I'm hitting the appropriate proximity to failure, I'm going to get a stimulus regardless. So I don't yeah. stress. Honestly. Yeah, I like that. It's a very auto-regulated approach and obviously something that takes a lot of experience and skill to do. You know, I think that it's so, I'm, when you start out, you're kind of like laser focused on this. I'm going to do three sets of 10 with 120 pounds and if i don't like you know bust but uh you realize that there's so much more flexibility and the muscle doesn't know numbers or like the num the muscle doesn't look at how many plates you've got on the stack um and yeah like one like one thing i've been starting to shift more towards is yeah like even changing up the weight midway through sets like oh like i got a good you know stimulus on eight reps but I th i'm gonna back it off for the, the remaining sets or just playing with things as the as the workout progresses even yeah if if i get stuck like i do try to aim for progressions like i'm not like all over the place every workout like there's always some type of progression in mind but i will like if i have to adjust like let's say for example like katie just mentioned like if i'm plateaued on a certain lift i'm like okay same load same reps every week it's just like banging my head against the wall then i'm like okay maybe i'm gonna do one or two sets with a heavier load a little bit lower rep range to, so i get exposure to the mm -hmm. heavier load so i could hopefully now kind of surpass that you know in the future like go back to a higher rep range and see if i can do a little bit more than i was prior and you know maybe eight times out of ten that's pretty successful you know depending on if i'm you know severely depleted in the deficit or not but but yeah, it's, there's, there's definitely auto-regulation there, but there's still like, it's more about the principles. And I think when you're starting out, yeah, things do need to be a little more rigid, you know, okay, three by 10 or whatever with a certain progression scheme in place. But you know how it is, you go through time, you realize like, okay, like I mentioned early on, like these little things that we're trying to make a big deal about, it's not really that big a deal. You remove the numbers remove the numbers and go train. And if you're like, okay, if your effort level, you're hitting the appropriate proximity failure, I mean, you're probably recruiting plenty of muscle fiber. You're getting a stimulus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what are kind of your major movements, like your, your main movement for each muscle group, would you say? Um, like we're in the lower body. So compounds right now are RDL. Uh, that's my hinge pattern, uh, leg press for quads. Um, I do hyperextensions as an alternative to RDL on a different workout, just so I'm not doing two big movements or the same movement over and over again hmm. and burning myself out that way. Um, you know, typical leg curls, 
uh, leg extensions. I just added in sissy squat because I just got that for the home gym. So kind of new to that. So I'm still trying to figure my way out with that one. Um, dumbbell calf raises, slower body, upper body, um, you know, typical right now I'm doing Smith machine presses and, uh, pushups because I have a bum shoulder. So I like to kind of think pretty intelligently as far as like what I'm doing pressing wise. Um, I use the Smith machine quite a lot. Use slow eccentrics at the moment, pauses and controlled concentrics, not purposely slow concentrics, but controlled concentrics. So I don't, uh, you know, flare up my shoulder, uh, back work. So like a simple machine row, um, close grip pull downs. That's basically my back work. Um, cable curls, dumbbell curl. I don't do direct tricep work cause I get a lot of pressing in there. So, and that's something that I've learned too over the years. If I've, I've had stents where I've had no direct tricep work and seen no regression whatsoever in my triceps. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So same thing with like rear delts. Like I haven't mm -hmm. done direct rear de delt work in probably 14 years now, 13 years, somewhere in there. Same thing with traps, not consistent trap work. So the rows usually cover my basis with that. Um, delts. A little bit of overhead pressing and laterals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like what you said, you know, yeah, about, or just alluding to the fact that you can, there's often ways you can get around things where, like, achieve the same in a more efficient way. As, like, as you said, like, maybe you don't need direct trap training or rear delts, which is the same for myself. And I actually think that's very underrated, where yeah, finding out, you find out how to do things that, do things effectively but then the next step is finding how to do them as efficiently as possible and you know people don't talk about this very much but i think that in the long run over many many years if you can even if you shave you know like if you saved i don't know one gym session a week that adds up a lot and i think that has a big impact in terms of people's sustainability and consistency over the years and ultimately that's it'll make a big difference yeah i agree um and that's the thing. I've had fair shakes of like doing direct rear delt work and direct trap work. Like we're talking from the time I was in my early twenties all the way until my late thirties of doing it consistently, you know, and it was like, okay, on, on rear flies, it's like, okay, I'm doing anywhere between 20 to 30 pounds, like the entire time. And so I just remember like, okay, let me just toss these out. What's going to happen? I, <laughs> Actually, it was two. I was after my 2011 season, my first pro season. I, I kind of said to myself, what would happen if I downsized all, like, the number of exercises that I'm doing? Because I'm like, okay, my rowing, like, okay, rear delts, they assist quite a bit in the rowing pattern. Same thing with traps, especially if I'm rowing a little bit on the higher side. What would happen? So I, like, just downsized. Because basically, all through my 20s and into my mid-30s, I was in the neighborhood of, like, 20 exercises or more like 20 to 25 in that that area so i downsized all the way down to about anywhere between 9 to 12. so it was like squats deadlifts leg curl calves and that was it for legs maybe a leg ascension every now and then but it wasn't consistent and for upper body i would do um flat and incline overhead press press down for triceps a curl and my back work was a, a row pattern and a pull down and that was it and so i did that for 2012 2013 off season all through my 2014 prep 
and I was just as big, if not a little bit bigger than I was in 2011, just as lean. And I didn't lose anything off of rear delts or traps. If anything, I was improved. So it kind of just showed me like, okay, like you said, okay, I'm learning to be more efficient. And I do think like indirect work is very underrated because if you're improving your row, like if you're, let's say you're doing a seated cable row and you, you, you take it from 140 pounds on the stack and then, you know, six months later, now you're doing 160, 170, 180. And now you're consistent with that load. Like your rear delts have to assist in that. So, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Kobe getting the assist, you know, tossing it up. <laughs> there you go. So it's just, it's underrated, but it's like sometimes like we just kind of get blinded to the traditional bodybuilding ways, you know, it's like, okay, we need to make sure that there's an exercise for every, like directly for every single body part. Yeah. It's almost like we're writing programs to look good on paper. You know, it's just like, oh, we got to check off the box for front delts and rear delts or, but not necessarily thinking about like what else will involve them. Uh, well, yeah, what? One more thing, then I'm going to let you roll. So I, I remember it was a 2011 or somewhere in there. Oh, no, 2014. Because it was my 2014 prep. I, the week of the Pro International, I trained without a shirt. Usually I don't do that. I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this. I'm not fun. So I trained without a shirt, recorded all these, put it on YouTube, and I was doing a tricep press down. You know, I was uh, filming it from the front. So you can literally see, like, the chest fibers just firing, right? Like, every time I push it down, you can see my chest firing. My abs the whole time were just like like this, just locked in. But I don't do any direct ab work, but my abs are definitely developed. And I remember a comment on there, and I said, hey, you know, I don't work abs because I get enough from this. And this comment was just basically blasting me because of that. And I don't know how many years later it was, but the guy like basically apologized and said, yeah, you know, there is value in indirect work. So, you know, that kind of proved to me too, is like when you're very lean and you're doing these exercises, just look at, see how things are firing. There's a lot going on in almost every single exercise you do besides the, the tendon muscle that you're trying to target. Yeah, that's cool. You get the direct visual feedback. I think that's a, that kind of highlights one thing that I've noted or I personally see in content is that when I look at really experienced people or really knowledgeable people, like spoke to Eric Helms on the weekend and, and you now is that I almost pay attention. You pay attention almost more to what people don't do rather than even like what they do do, because there's so much to be learned in like the, seeing the reasoning and the efficiency behind that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, sometimes you have to kind of go against the grain a little bit to learn a little bit more about yourself. And that was something that pretty proud, like I could look back on my career and go, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I just wasn't like following status quo. Like, you know what, I'm going to be an outlier, try these things on my own. And I don't care what people say. Like the comment, like, oh, bro, you ain't going to be able to develop your abs like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> See you on stage at WNBF Worlds. Um, yeah, one thing I was curious about is you work out at home and you have like your uh, machine selection, you know, when you're, how do you deal with like aches and pains from, I suppose there's like, there's always a concern of chronic overuse when you're always using the same movement patterns. How do you kind of work around those uh, issues? 
Yeah, kind of like I, I touched on earlier, like that kind of nuance, some movement patterns, um, whether it's like, okay, just change Like it's as simple as like changing a hand placement sometimes. Like, oh, okay, mm. that doesn't bother my shoulder. Mm. Or ref speed. Like that's right now, ref speed has been helping me a lot on the pressing. Um, so like on the Smith machine, I set the safety arms up. So I can basically, like on the eccentric, go pretty slow and controlled and there's no pain. And I can nuance my elbows, you know, keep them nice and tight, keep a, a narrower grip. So I have like zero discomfort on that, that shoulder that bugs me. And then basically once the bar comes to the safety arms, I pause it. So it really gives me temporary relief. Mm -hmm. And then I, when I press up, I think, okay, I'm going to press up. I'm going to start slow. But once it starts to move, then I'm going to increase the speed of that. I'm going to push harder as I go. Because I've, I've trial and errored it. And I realize if I do that, there's no discomfort. But if I try to explode from that dead stop fast off the start, there's a lot of pain there. Mm -hmm. So like little things like that, I've learned to kind of nuance. So sometimes it, that you don't have to change an entire exercise out. You can mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, nuance it a little bit. And that might take a little trial and error. Uh, but you might be able to find sweet spots that way. Um, and you do get creative when you're in a small space. Like I've gotten creative. Like before I even had my hyperextension bench that I bought, I learned how to set up the Smith machine to mm -hmm. turn it into a hyperextension. Uh, so I've been doing that for years. Um, and, and so you just get creative in small spaces. Yeah, I remember once seeing you do this, it's like a, you basically were doing lateral raises with the Smith that. machine. And it's so yeah. funny because... I remember I was dating a bikini girl at the time and like we set like I sent her that and she's like, Oh my god, we're just like this guy's a genius and it's like <laughs> funny how I was thinking people like, send each other nudes. <laughs> I thought I I can't remember why I did I must have been in because I was probably trying to avoid some pain. I was like, what if I set the safety arm up here and I just like just rest the bar on my elbow and just kind of press up? Uh but I'm I'm not the one that created I didn't know it existed. I just kind of thought of it but then someone like on instagram said hey this so-and-so does this and i was like oh so i went on youtube just to kind of see how they set it up so yeah it, it's out there but it's very it's very rare that someone like creates an exercise you know if they if they have i'm sure at some point 100 years ago or whatever someone probably did the same little bit pattern <laughs> so legit and then yeah i want to shift gears and talk a little bit about this kind of your off-season approaches as well when you're in the off season how do you kind of arrange your bolts and cuts well now that i'm like getting ready to retire there's no more off seasons um but yeah even like the last few years i really haven't had like purposeful bulk you know like i tried to gain like one last attempt to try to put some muscle on this was before this was what year was this 2021 name so before last year Mm -hmm. to see if I can actually get a little size. And I still don't know if I did or not. I mean, once I get all the way dialed in, then I'll know. I'm going to put all my money that I probably didn't, but I would like to believe I did, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, generally, like I'm more of a personal. This is me, not me coaching other people. This is me personally. Off season, I'm like more of a, a regular guy. Like mm -hmm. I'm like in the mindset of like, I'm going to lift weights, but I'm also going to live life. So I'm not going to like, you know, oh, okay, I have to have perfect macros through my off season. I'm going to track and, you know, I just want to make sure I'm not getting overly heavy because I gain weight really easy because obviously I don't move. So it's easy for me to gain weight. Um, but 
the big rocks is what I focus on for me personally in the off season. That is make sure I'm getting enough protein, make sure I'm eating enough to support my body weight. So as long as I'm not losing weight, I know I'm in a good environment to potentially put some muscle on, make sure my training is productive, good performance, and there's good recovery. I'm staying hydrated. I'm trying to minimize my stress levels and I'm getting enough sleep. So if those variables are in order, then, you know, chances are you're in a good environment to, you know, create some hypertrophy. Yeah. But, you know, I strategize a little bit more so with, with some of my athletes, you know, depending on their context. Yeah. So what will you typically like to do for athletes, your, your, your trainees? Well, I mean, it depends on their context. So if they're looking to compete and, you know, let's say it's a year from now, then I'm going to have to work backwards. Okay. What's their body weight now? What, what is the estimate as far as like their stage weight? Can I need to work backwards now to make sure that trajectory for the prep is set up ideally? So, you know, right now, does that mean we can actually gain weight? Do we have to stay where we're at? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If it's a longer timeline, if I have two, three, four years, then I can, mm-hmm. I can be more assertive with an off season. You know, maybe we can spend more time at heavier body weights where it might be a little more favorable for that person to, to put on muscle. So it kind of just depends on that, but it's more like I, I figure out the big picture trajectory first. And then from there, it's like, okay, okay, what's, what's the setup? Like right now, is it, are we gaining X amount of weight per month? And then where do we cut that off? And you know, what's that, what's the, the protocols look like to make that happen. So that's just going to be very context dependent, but it's always, for me, it's always looking at the big picture first and then the, the little things come, come after that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and what you said about working backwards is really helpful when you, especially if you have some kind of hard stop deadline, like a prep contest date. Yeah. I want to, uh, talk a little bit about just sustainability, longevity stuff in bodybuilding, uh, since you have so much experience. about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, since you had so many experiences over the years, what was the most difficult time for you in terms of staying in the sport and Mm. how do you get through it? I think the training that has never been an issue because it's just part of daily life for me or at least the days that I train on. But yeah, I mean, that's something that I just love to do. So that was never an issue. The issue for me was the competition aspect, like in my 20s and 30s, because I was just so blinded to wanting to win, mm-hmm. place well, win pro cards, that type of thing, that it was like a roller coaster of emotions. You know, when you win, it's it's great. But when you lose, man, it hits hard because you're just so hyper-focused on it. And I learned a hard lesson in 2002 with that prep because I was just like, I took it to another level as far as my mentality about, I got to get this pro card. So I remember that entire prep every single day. I always felt like at the end of it, like I wasn't doing enough. Like I remember just laying in bed thinking like, I could have did that better. I could have this better. Like I was never satisfied went the entire prep that way. And even like getting to the show, I wasn't about like, oh, I'm going to go backstage and meet a bunch of people and hang out. It was like, no, nah, man, I'm here to win. Like I'm, I'm serious. And I ended up losing by a point and I got depressed. It was devastating. I was like, and I remember having a conversation with my dad. We went out to lunch after like maybe a couple weeks later. And I'm like, you know, this is, this bodybuilding thing is stupid. It's dumb. I'm like, I'm putting 
all this work and all this effort into it just to get a second place. It's not worth it. And I was just like, I'm done with it. And now, I mean, in hindsight, it was just a terrible place to be in. Like, I was just depressed. I didn't even want to, like, I had no, like, motivation at all to compete again. Like, it literally took me, I mean, I competed in 2004, but that was just my brother who was like, hey, let's do this show. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to do it, man. And he's like, just come on, just do it with me. So it was one of those, like, short, shitty preps that I did. Didn't look all that great. So I really didn't catch fire again, like, true fire until 2009 when I that and I just changed the mentality around how I approach prep it went from like just wanting to win to like I'm just gonna have fun like this is just me about having a fun enjoying the journey enjoying the process and that's when I started the blog 3d muscle journey because it was about the journey it was about having fun sharing it to the world just sharing my process and if people learn something from it great um and I had no care if I got a pro card or not. I mean, if I did, great, but that wasn't like the primary objective. And I mean, long story short, I got two pro cards and I met Eric, I met, you know, Brad and Alberto. And we, I mean, the rest is history. So it's like, what I learned from that is that it's not good to be like on or off. Like you have to treat it like a dimmer switch. It's like any, anything that you do in bodybuilding, whether it's like, the amount of volume that you're doing, the intensity that you're doing. Like it could be acute things like that, like rest periods in between sets. Don't treat everything as if it's like an on off switch. It's a dimmer switch. Sometimes you, you dial it up when you need to. And sometimes you turn it down when you need to. And I think that's led to my longevity, like physically, mentally, and emotionally. So, you know, the off seasons too, it's like an off season for me, is not just about like gaining muscle and all that. It's, it's like, this is my time to actually charge my batteries up. Like, cause you've prepped Bill, so you know how it is. Like mentally you're just tapped out and it takes a while to just mentally get that motivation and that drive going again. And that's what I needed with, with last year when I like had the, the downtime. It's like, okay, this is time for me to reflect, think about where I want to go and just recharge batteries. So that's, that's allowed me to kind of stay in the game on a high level yeah kind of just knowing when to dial it up and you know dial it up and turn it down when needed mm -hmm. yeah and then from the relationship standpoint you know you mentioned the example of someone's like oh i'm about to break up with my significant other do you have any advice for people in terms of i guess practical things they can do during a prep to you know make make sure their relationship side of life is okay yeah i mean so there, it doesn't hurt to like, like this morning I went downstairs, my wife was getting ready for work and I got her a cup of coffee and I brought it to her. Small gesture, right? It's like not a big thing, but that, that kind of stuff means a lot because it shows that you're thinking of them, you care, right? So, and there's times where you're in prep and you're deep into prep. You don't even want to go downstairs and come back up because you're <laughs> <laughs> But if you do those things, like you can stay like emotionally connected because physically sometimes it is hard because libido does start to tank, you know, when you get very lean. But if you stay emotionally connected, I think that's super important. Uh, so just little things like that. And, uh, you know, it's okay to go out to dinner. You know, you can maneuver food around for the day to make sure you're allocating calories for it. 
or worst case scenario, you can maybe cut calories for a day or two after that to clean it up. But I think it's important that you put your family and your loved ones first before this sport because shows are a, a dime a dozen. They're always going to be there, right? But your loved ones, not so much, especially if you're an asshole. So you don't want to be that guy or that 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 gal at the end of the day. Yeah, you got this trophy in your hand, but yeah, there's no one there like actually cheering with you. You're just there by yourself. So. Yeah, yeah. I found I definitely found you know in the end, the best part about bodybuilding is the people. It's you know the people you meet and and a lot of it I actually found that prep actually brought me closer to a lot of the people in my life. You know, and made me realize who really had my back who still cared about me or like stuck around through tough times and that, you know, made me grateful. And I tried something I've been trying to focus on is, you know, showing that gratitude for Yeah, people put up with our shit their <laughs> way through a prep. Yeah. I mean, they're, they, they must be really special, right? Like to actually, cause bodybuilding is not an easy sport. It's like, it's hard for people on the outside to kind of be around us. Like when we're in, in that mindset of like, okay. Because bodybuilding is 24-7, you think about it. Like any other sport, basketball, football, whatever, you go to practice for two hours, mm -hmm. you turn it off, right, after that. Yep, yeah. Done. Okay, after after practice, I'm going to go have Dairyville and smash a burger and fries because, you know. But bodybuilding, you can't. It's 24-7. So you're never talking 24-7 for an entire prep, you know. Yeah, so I think it's important when you're prepping, don't be selfish. Think of other people. Like I said, just small gesture because you'll be getting a cup of coffee. That goes a long way. Yeah, and then maybe from the training side, you probably work with a lot of really busy clients as well. For someone who is in a super busy part of their life and you know doesn't have a lot of time to dedicate to training, do you have any tips on constructing programs that are as efficient as possible? Keep it simple. And I think the first thing I'm going to say is that we just remember atrophy in the neighborhood of three to five weeks of no training whatsoever. So even if you're cutting the number of days down or you're cutting your volume down, you're really probably just resetting a baseline because you're still going to be training. So even if you cut volume 50%, like chances are if let's say the reason you have to cut that volume down in the first, cause you're too busy and you're probably stressed and you're tired or whatnot, you're probably not performing recovering well anyways. So you cut that volume down or cut the frequency down, chances are your recovery improves and the work that you're now doing elevates. You're able to lift heavier, you're able to do more reps. So from that new baseline, your volume starts to kind of trickle back up from that new baseline. So I just say, you know, focus on what you can do, not on what you can't. I think that's super important and, and realize that uh, you're still going to be training and just make sure the effort level is still there. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's cool, especially now that like we're getting more and more research saying that you really can maintain on very little volume, you know, like even if you just did like one really hard workout a week, um, you could maintain really well on that and just kind back, of knowing that it's there. Back when I first started competing in the early nineties, like I'd go to shows. I remember a few guys like they were doing like lower volume than me. And I'm kind of like, everybody thinks I'm like this low volume guy. I remember one guy, he's like, I only train twice a week. That's all he is like. And I do two sets of exercise and he was more jacked than I was. Hmm. There was another guy, same thing. It was like a, a Dorian Yates disciple. And he was like natural pro, like on a high level doing lower volumes. 
So it's, this thing is cyclical. <laughs> so I said on another podcast that my prediction for 2023 is low volume is going to start getting <laughs> a lot more traction. And, and here we are. It's starting to gain okay. more traction. Okay. Yeah. And like 10 years ago, I used to get just smashed because of like the way I would kind of do things. But it's kind of nice seeing things coming full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one interesting thing, you know, like, yeah, seeing kind of this cycle, you know, and, and in, even in your own training, have you found that your favorite exercises pool has changed? It changed when I went away from a commercial gym to my home gym. That's for sure. Because I used to love this. I carry and hack squat in the one mm -hmm. gym I used to go to, man. I used to love leg days for that mm -hmm. thing. Um, And I think I've just been, I think I've been more forced to change my favorite exercises, whether it's like the environment, like changing gyms or um, my body just not liking or approving of like those big lifts that I used to love to do, like squats and deadlifts. Like if I was to do those regularly now, mm -hmm. yeah, I would probably be pretty beat up. Like I could do them on occasion, maybe one or two weeks in a row, but then I'd have to like, okay, I got to stop. Otherwise I'm not going to recover. Yeah, so my favorite exercises are the ones that don't hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good marker of a good exercise. So have you totally cut out, you know, squats and deadlifts? Like, will you include them on some semi-regular occasion or just totally gone? I tried to do squats again a few months back. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to get back into them. I miss them. I'm going to try to do them. And I did it for about maybe a month or so. And they st I started to get stronger again, but once I got to a po certain point, like I was just like, okay, yeah, my hips, my lower back, like I'm, when you get out of bed and you're achy almost every day, it's like, okay, yeah, this isn't worth it. So I'm like, okay, let me just use my brain and do other exercises that I know are still going to hit the same musculature, but it's going to be less invasive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where you realize that, you know, you're kind of banging your head against the wall if you have to you're you're grinding so hard at these and they're just causing you pain i think ego gets in the way for a lot of us you know it's like oh we got to do these certain lifts it's a lot of it's just ego talking um so i you get a little more humble as you get older your body like kind of forces you to get humble so mm -hmm. yeah so anyways i think landing the plane here it's been a fun informative talk and i think a lot of people are gonna learn from your wisdom over the over your seasons of bodybuilding where can people find you 3dmusclejourney.com and 3dmj godfather on instagram and let's see team 3dmj at youtube mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's always good to check out the uh vlogs on 3dmj there it's, it's great because there's not many people out there operating this level you know of knowledge and experience and also sharing the journey so that's great I'm glad to pay it forward and thanks for having me on again.